Well, welcome, everybody. Great to see you guys. And uh, everybody at Montrose and watching online, thanks for joining us as well. Hey, I want to get um, something on your radars before uh, we jump into our teaching this weekend. Uh, if you got your phones, throw on your calendars uh, March 25th and 26th. March 25th, 26th, that's a Saturday and a Sunday. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a kind of a special weekend that weekend. So um, it, here on, uh, on our Jet Road um, property, we have been building out a uh, athletic facility. And so Grace Church has a huge uh, discipleship ministry that we uh, use sports to do discipleship with. And uh, God has been utilizing that in a powerful way these last couple of years. About four years ago, uh, we decided to make an investment in that. And on our Gent Road property, um, where we put up a big addition. So that's a, a big athletic facility. It also expanded our lobby, and we put new nurseries out there. And um, we're excited that uh, at the end of the summer, we're going to finally open up that building. It's going to be done, and uh, we're going to start to utilize it again. Before we get that far, we want to do a special thing uh, where we go over and we do a floor signing. So uh, what we want to do is, if you're praying for your three, so we encourage everybody who's a Christ follower to pray for three people by name every day, that God will give you a, a no-brainer moment where you can share the reason for the hope that's within you. And so what we want to do is we want to go over uh, into the, the building before the floors go in, the gym and all that kind of stuff, uh, write down the first names of people that we're praying for and kind of do like a little bit of a dedication of that building and making sure that uh, kind of everything that we do there is built on reaching and discipling people. So that weekend, we're going to have kind of normal service times so or we're going to do something a little bit different with the service and then we're all going to go over there and uh, go into the new part of the building, sign the floor there. If you're gathering at Montrose, we're going to organize your services in such a way that you can come over to Gent Road and go over there as part of your service and sign the floors as well. And then, of course, if you watch online, you just want to make sure that you show up that weekend and be here in person. But I think it's going to be a great, great time. Uh, it's a bit of a celebration uh, as we kind of wrap up uh, four years of uh, the vision campaign that uh, created the resources to produce all that. And it's one step closer to us actually kicking that into action and start using it in real time, okay? So just keep that on your radar. It's the weekend of the 25th and the 26th of March uh, here, just a few weeks actually, and we'll, we'll do that together, okay? Well, we've been in a series these last few weeks called uh, First Things First, New Ideas for Meaningful Life. And uh, what I want to do this, this weekend is I want to wrap up that series by giving you very practical very tangible ways to act on all that we've learned uh, through it. So the, like, the premise of this series has been, like if I'm not happy with my life, my life is in a cycle of like I, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm fighting an addiction, I'm uh, fighting broken bad habits and relationships. If I'm in this cycle that I can't get out of, uh, is there a way that God could intervene? Is there like a new idea that comes, could come to the table with that? And so we've been looking at some of these things that God promises us in scripture. And he says like, hey, uh, I wanna produce something different in your life than you can produce on your own. So for instance, he would look and say, I wanna produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, I want that to be a fruit or a byproduct of my Holy Spirit living within you. And so we just looked at that and said, does that sound appealing? 
Like, uh, w- would you rather have, if your life is defined by like bitterness and tense relationships, would you rather it be defined by love? Uh, if it's defined by like anxiety and like depression, would you rather it be defined by peace? Uh, if it's defined by like uh, broken relationships and addictions, would you rather it be defined by self-control? And if that's what you want, uh, that's actually what God wants for you. And so you want what God wants and God wants what you want, but the Bible would say that only comes from God. That's not stuff that we can just like manufacture on our own. So Jesus said he wants to give that to us, but the key to it is to seek him first. So you seek first the kingdom and his, his righteousness, and then these things are added to you as well. And we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. Those conversations, I'm not going to rehash them all like uh, this weekend, but online, on the app, they're there. And we kind of identified some, some root causes of those things, things like money, things like sex and sexuality, things like putting myself in control of my life instead of letting Christ uh, control, define and direct my life. And we just said if we address those things the way the Bible said and we put Jesus in that first spot, could we have a, a different outcome of that, right? So we've been talking about that and, uh, and kind of digging deep and getting like the big ideas in place. What I want to do this weekend is I want to turn those into like really practical steps. So what happens sometimes is we have like a big idea, like I want to change my life or I want to break a habit or I want to, and then you have to look and say, so what do you actually do, right? So I want to do, so I want my life to be so different. Well, what do you actually do? Like if you were going to get up in the morning and take steps to do something, what is it that you would actually do? And this weekend, what I want to do is try to give you those, those steps. Like, what would you actually do? So I thought about this a lot, and, and what I wanted to do was try to break everything down to its very, very foundation. So I want to break down what it means to seek first the kingdom to its very, very foundation, and then I want to break those action steps down to a very, very foundation and my goal is that when you walk away this weekend, uh, you can like walk out the door and say, these, these are the three things I'm going to put into my life that help me keep Jesus as the focal point and the first priority in my life, okay? All right, so let's start with just our relationship with God. So this one is a little bit easier because it's right in the middle of Scripture. Somebody actually came up to Jesus one time and said, what does it mean to seek you first? Like, what is the greatest commandment? What am I supposed to do? Just tell it to me in a nutshell. And Jesus answered that person. We talk about this a lot here at Grace. And Jesus said this when asked that question. He said, uh, what you gotta do is you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. Second is, is, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So if you said, uh, Jeff, I want to be a person who seeks first the kingdom. I want to change my life. I want to move in a different direction. Where do I start? Do I start like stopping, smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do? Do I start going to church every week? Do I start like, where do I start with it? And that's basically what this guy was asking Jesus. And Jesus just said, Actually, we just start with where we put our love. So instead of all these gazillion things that are out there, if we could just dial our mind into loving the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, 
Everything else is, is summed up in this. So church, my behavior, how I conduct myself, everything's summed up in loving Jesus and loving your neighbor as yourself, okay? So a, a person who is a, a person who is seeking Christ first is kind of waking up every morning and they're asking that question or saying that's my goal for the day. My goal for the day is I wanna love Christ with my heart, soul, mind, and I wanna love people. And instead of focusing on myself or focusing on sex or focusing on money, I wanna focus my life on loving Jesus and loving people. And if you were boiling it all down, that's what you would say kind of every day. I wanna love Jesus, I wanna love people, okay? Now the question then becomes, how do you do that in a very practical way? Like how, do, how does that play out in, in real terms? So I wanna walk you through some things. For some of you, this is gonna be like brand new stuff you haven't thought of before. If you are newer in following Jesus, if you, if you look and say like loving Jesus, loving people, it's like this brand new thing to me, you are very normal here at Grace Church. Like a bunch of us are like that. Like we just got into this stuff and we're not sure what to do with it yet. So for you, it's gonna be brand new. For others of us who have been around a while or maybe you grew up in church, we know those verses, but we don't do them well. So we got on kicks along the way, and, and we were dial. We think back to other times in our life where the first thing I was seeking in my life was loving Jesus, loving people. And if we're a little bit honest, like that's not the thing that's driving my life right now. Okay. And then there's others of us that we do look and say, "I want to love Jesus. I want to love people." And then we always have to like dial that in and remind ourselves. So everybody's on the hook for this one. Everybody's on the hook for this one. Okay. So what do I do? I wanna love Jesus, I wanna love people. How should that play out in real terms? So I tried to boil this down to three things that show up in our life every day, and these are places to start, because you could look at me and say, Jeff, what about these 10 other things? And I would look at you and say, you're right, you're right. Like they're, they're, this list could be long, but I'm trying to make it simple. I'm trying to give you starting points and I'm trying to give you a way to kind of get all this moving in real time in your life. So I tried to think it through to like the three main things that we tend to get hung up on that we can do something about and we can measure and we can actually enact in real time in our life, okay? So if I'm trying to love Jesus, love people, and I wanna express love, because love's the deal. I wanna express love to Jesus, I wanna express love to people, what are the three areas of my life that I would start to look at and start to measure a little bit, okay? So I would, I would start here. I would look and say, how do I express love with my attention? How do I express love to Jesus and to people with my attention? How do I express love to Jesus and to people with my money? And then how do I express love to Jesus and with people with my time, okay? So how do I do that with, I express love to Jesus and with people with attention, with money, and with time, all right? And I'll walk you through this, and I'll try to get you like actual practical things that you can put on and like measurements that you can look at, okay? So let's start with our attention. So I wanna express love to Jesus with my attention, and I wanna express love to Jesus, uh, or, or express love to people with my attention. Now, you'll see that this is all through the scripture, this idea that this needs to be a priority in our life the Bible's gonna say it a bunch of different ways. This was just kind of my word for it, but an example of this would be Hebrews chapter 12. 
Uh, the writer says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, a race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So the, the writer is, is using like this metaphor of athletics, and he's saying, listen, if, if you want to love Jesus, you want to love people, we're going to dial our attention in. Anything that distracts me, I'm going to get rid of. Any sin that entangles me, I'm going to get rid of because I'm fixing my attention. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. And, and you would find that idea a thousand different places in the Bible. So if I want to be a person who seeks first the kingdom, it's going to require my undistracted attention and I'm going to have to build that into my life and into my day, okay? Now, uh, let's just think about this for a second. All of us have been in rooms with people who aren't in the room with us, right? You know that feeling? Like you're going you're gonna to go out, you're going to talk, you're going to catch up, and you want to share your heart, and they're on the phone, or you went to the wrong restaurant, sat on the wrong side of the table so he can see the game while you're trying to talk to him. Like all, all of us have been places where like, I'm with you, but you're not really with me, and you're not giving me your attention. And when, when we're in a room with people who are not giving us their attention, everybody hates it. Like everybody's low-key offended, Everybody's upset because we're together, but you're not actually paying attention or being involved with what we're doing. And we hate that the most when we're trying to share our heart and our lives with each other, right? So if, I, if I'm sharing something that's on my heart with you, and then you look up from your phone, you're like, what? Right? I want to punch you in the face, right? If, I, if I'm trying, to, if I'm pouring my heart out to, to Heidi and we're in bed together and I'm sharing everything with my heart with her and the next thing I hear is, <sighs> like, like, I'm like, ah, oh, honey, like she fell, she, she fell asleep on me, right? We all hate it when that happens, okay? If you're going to grow spiritually, if your faith is going to increase if your reliance on Christ is going to increase, if you're, if you're going to, I've been living my life this way, I want to live this way because I want God to produce in my, something in my life. There, it's inescapable that one of the things that has to happen is you're going to have to have undisrupted time with God. Where, where he's not, it's not a recognition and it's not an attendance, because I can attend something and not actually be in the room, right? I can, I can be in a different world. It's an attention. And if I don't give my attention to God in an undistracted way, then I'm never really gonna know his heart, and I'm never really gonna know his mind, and, and he's never gonna be able to have the freedom to produce in my life what I actually want him to produce in my life, okay? So what does that look like? I have never, I've been, following Jesus for a while, I've been a pastor for 30 years now, I have never been able to get away from this idea that I have to give undistracted time to Jesus by spending time in his word and time in prayer and time with his people. And that attention has to be undistracted. It's different than like listening to the Bible while I'm working out and thinking about other things 
It's different than praying on the fly and it's different than showing up at church or life group or something like that every once in a while. If I don't make that a focus of my life, then my ability to seek first is gonna be greatly hindered and it's probably gonna drift away. It's just the way that it works. And so if I want that to happen, I'm gonna have to give that attention, okay? Attention to the Bible, why? So the Bible says that the Bible is alive and active. So this book is not God's autobiography. It's not a book of ancient fables. It's not a textbook that you memorize and spit facts about. The Bible says about itself that it was given to us by God. It was inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. And when I interact with the words of God, God causes those words to come alive within me. I'm not reading something that happened back in the day. I'm experiencing God interacting with me in real time. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a weird thing. It's not a freaky thing. It's just a spiritual thing. But the way that I know God is primarily is I know him through the Bible. So if I close the Bible in my life, I am closing down a huge portion of God's ability to interact with me. And if I tag the Bible onto my life, it, it, I'm just, it's playing in the background as I'm ignoring it <laughs> and doing whatever I'm doing. And we've all done that. I do it too. Put on a podcast. I put on somebody else's sermon. I'm in for about seven minutes and then I'm actually thinking about something else why this noise is happening to me. I've never been able to find another way and I've never been able to have somebody ever show me a way to get away from, I sit down, I read undistracted, I pray undistracted and I allow God to speak to me through his word, okay? I have to give God my undivided attention. Now, if you have never done that, and you're not sure where to start, what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to start in the book of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I would encourage you to read the book of John. Read every passage three times. First time, read it to read it. Second time, read it to see what it says. Third time, read it to listen to it. And see what God has to say to you, right? If the Bible is completely foreign and like, you're like, I have no idea how to do that, then what I would do is I would start watching this show. You can find it online called The Chosen. And The Chosen is not the Bible, but it's a great way to like kind of hear the Bible, like what Jesus might sound like, what his tone of voice might be, how he might be interacting with somebody. It's a great representation of that. So watch that and then go back and read and start to hear from God and spend time in God's word and time in prayer. Now, listen, if I wanna love Jesus with my heart, soul, and mind, I have to know him. And the place I get to know him is this. That's That's what we believe and that's how God works. And if this is closed in my life, my faith is not gonna grow God is not gonna produce what I want him to produce in my life and I'm gonna stay in the ruts that I am. I'm just being honest with you. So I'm gonna start here. 
Some of you have never done that. Some of you used to do that. Some of you have grown cold in doing that. And I'm saying that attention has to be paid. So I'm going to spend time in God's word, and then I'm going to spend time praying, and I'm going to do that in an undistracted way. The third part of that is I'm also going to spend undistracted time with God's people. So the reason that we would like come to church or the reason that we would go to a Bible study or we would go to a life group or get together with a few friends and like pray and talk about God because it brings our attention to something, okay? So when, I, like when I'm in the rhythm of coming to church, what happens is like I'm just setting aside time and I'm like I'm giving my attention to God. All the distractions in the world, I'm carving out this hour and 15 minutes and giving it to God. And unless we have those foundational things in our life, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So it's how I express love to God. And then it's the same principle, it's how I express love to people. So if you wanna express love to people, you have to give them your attention. So the kids have a saying, phone down, friends up, or phone down, fr family up. It could be that the reason that you're lonely in your house is because you're living your life through a screen instead of the human being in front of you. Uh, it could be that the reason why you're distant from your kids is because you haven't drawn the attention of the family into the family. It's why we take vacations, it's why we have game nights, and it's why your, their friends aren't invited. It could be that the reason why your marriage is cold is because you're never interacting with each other. See, it's the same principle. If I want to express love to someone, I have to give them attention. It's the, the reason, it could be the reason you feel a little distant from the church is because you're not in the room. Well, I show up. I know, but you don't interact with anybody. And so we, it, there's no way to get around that, that people cannot feel loved if they don't feel known and they cannot be known if we don't pay attention to each other, okay? So just looking at that as a principle, like if, if I wanna love God and I wanna love people, it's gonna require my undivided attention at times throughout my life, right? And it's a practical thing. I'm just trying to give you actual like handles to get a hold of. It's a practical thing. You can go home tonight you can sit down with your schedule and say, I need to spend time in God's word and prayer. This is what I'm going to do it. And yeah, we are distant. This is what we're going to start doing or how we're going to start working so that we can get those relationships tied together. Okay? So I express love to God and to each other with my attention. Here's the second one. I express love to God and to others by investing my money. By investing my money. This phrase, Jesus' words, I'm going to show you here, I cannot get away from, and I've never found a way around it, all right? So it's like a foundational thing. This is what Jesus said. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he meant was, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he meant was that your money leads your heart. And if your money is not there, your heart is not there. And wherever your money is, is where your heart actually is. And I have never been able to find a way around personally or a way around trying to disciple other people of, of looking and saying, if, if you want to have a close relationship with Christ where he's working in powerful ways in your life, it's going to involve your money. Because money is the root of all kinds of evil and it's the root of all kinds of evil in your life. 
And until that's surrendered to Christ and focused where he wants it to be focused, then your life isn't gonna be surrendered to Christ and focused where it can be focused. Money, the Bible would teach, is a tool, it's not a trophy. And the tool, what we do with the tool of money is we buy relationships with it. And on the surface, you're like, Jeff, that's horrible. I'm like, no, it's not, it's, fa- it's factual. That's what a date is. You spent money to give undivided attention. That's what vacation is. That's what you spend money so you can have a, so we, our money is almost always involved in our relationships. It's what a birthday gift is. It's what a Christmas gift is. It's what an anniversary dinner is. You're using the tool of money to facilitate a relationship. And what Jesus is saying here is, if your money's not tied up in relationships, your hearts aren't either. And, and part of what's missing is your money is not directed in the right place. So if I wanna express love to Christ, love with all my heart, soul, and my strength, and I wanna express love to my neighbor, it's often going to involve my money, okay? Now, the Bible gives us some help with this, some really, really practical help with it. And I find it fascinating how God does it. So back in the first part of the Bible, God is talking specifically to the nation of Israel and he puts in a principle that we can follow today and it's helpful for us. It's not a command to the church, it's a principle for the church. And we can follow today and it's helpful for us. So there's some things that he says about money. So he says this in in the Old Testament. He says, uh, guys, what I want you to do when I talk about your money I'm talking about your first fruits. So he told the people, he said, take some of your first fruits of all you produce. He said, bring it to the temple and give it to God as an act of worship. Now the principle I want us to see is this idea that we take our first fruits. That's a big deal. So when God's talking about your treasure, he's talking about your first fruits. He's not talking about your leftovers. And that's really, really important and very, very revealing for us when it comes to relationships. Because most of the time when we think about giving to God or giving to somebody else, we think in terms of what we have left over. So if I have something left over, I will give it to a cause or I will give it to a person. So if I have, if I, once I pay my bills and like I do what I want to do with my money, if I have so much money that there's something left, I'll, you know, I'll give 10 bucks to God and I'll give 10 bucks to a different person. We think in terms of what we have left over. We don't think in terms of what we start with. So when God's giving this principle about money, he's like, no, I want you to start. It's what, where you start, it's not where you finish. I, I want you to think in terms of your first fruits. Why? Because your treasure leads your heart. So you take, you take the first of what you have and you lead your heart with it. You take the first of what you have and you love, you express love to Christ with it. You take the first of what you have and you express love to your neighbor with it. You don't do the leftovers, you lead with it because where your treasure is, your heart is gonna be there also, right? Now, the logical question then is, what's a first fruit? Like, like what does that even mean and how far do you go with it and how much are we supposed to give? Well, God, this is one of the places in scripture where God actually gives us a measurement. And so back in Deuteronomy, again, he's talking to the people, and he says a first fruit is one-tenth of all. So we would say 10%. So we would take, we would take the first 10% of all that we have, of all of our money, and we would express love to God, and we would express love to our neighbors with that money. Now what's fascinating is this. 
When God said that to the nation of Israel, it was a law. He's like, you're going to give 10%. When you get to the second part of the Bible, to the, to the New Testament, that law doesn't apply to us. Because in the New Testament, what Jesus says is, you should give everything. So sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And, and everything belongs to the Lord. And everything in your life, everything, every good and perfect thing is from above. It's not yours. So the principle in the New Testament isn't like a tax. The principle in the New Testament is radical generosity of everything. Okay? Now, you might look and say, if I was you, I would look and say, um, everything? Yeah, everything. What does that mean? Like, am I... Can I own a house? Like, can we have a car? Are we supposed to go on vacation? What about sushi? Like, like what, what does that mean, right? Well, what I would say is this. I would say it means that everything I have is to be held with an open hand, and it's to be available to the Lord with, with ever and whenever he wants it. If I was going to turn it into a discipline in my life, I would start with one-tenth. And I would think of one-tenth as a measurement, not a cap. But I would look, if I'm, if I'm not surrendering any of my money to the Lord, and I'm not giving it to the Lord, I'm not giving it to other people, and I'm trying to figure out how to start that, I'm like, start with a tithe. Start with 10%, right? And you start giving that to the Lord. And what will happen is wherever that 10% goes is where your heart's going to go. And you're starting to use your money to lead your heart. And 10% is a very practical measurement that you can start that journey on. So God gives us the principle of first fruits. He gives us the principle of one-tenth. And then he says this. He says, you do that because what that does is this will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. So the reason that God spoke to the people and said, first fruit, not last fruit, 10%. Because when you get into that discipline, you will fear or you will respect the Lord your God. So what giving like this does, what tithing does, is it reminds us that everything belongs to God. It's a discipline. Money is at the root of all kinds of evil, primarily because we think it belongs to us. And if I wanted to break that habit and change that direction of my life, Ten, the tithing would help me. It would remind me to fear the Lord and make sure that my money belongs to God. So I put my treasure where I want my heart to be also. It also reminds us to be grateful for the 90% that's left. This is a big one. I, more than once in my life, I've found myself griping about the 10%. I rarely praise God for the 90 and so what this discipline does and what this action, this measurement does is it reminds me that I still have 90% that also belongs to God and he lets me keep. And I live off of that. I have a home off of that. I have a vacation off of that. If he wants more than 10, it's his. But it's getting me down that path and it's shifting my view of ownership, what is mine and what belongs to the Lord. So it causes me to fear or to respect the Lord. It leads my heart because my treasure leads my heart. It puts my priorities into my budget and it creates room for generosity, right? So oftentimes, how many times have you looked and felt compelled or felt a need and thought, I wish I could do something about that? 
And what, what tithing does is it creates that room for generosity because I want to love Jesus and I want to love people. And when I put that generosity into my budget, I can respond. There's a vision that maybe it's cast at the church, maybe somewhere else. You have the ability to respond to it. You have a person who's in need, you have the ability to respond to it. Your mom needs breaks, you have the ability to respond to it. Whatever brings glory to God, because we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, so it has to have eternal value. But it gives me literally in my budget room to bless people and to respond to what God lays on my heart. Right Now, ready? I'm just trying to boil this down for you. I have never met anybody who is a first-seeking person who argues with God on this. In fact, it's more the opposite. They're usually way beyond a 10% because they don't want their heart tied up in their money. They want their heart tied up in Christ. And when you look at their budget, you'll see their money is serving Jesus in all kinds of different ways. It's not always all here at the church. That's not what I'm talking about. It's serving Jesus all kinds of different places. But I've never met a person who hoards or is greedy with their money who's alive in their faith and their fellowship of Christ. And it, it just boils down to it somehow. If I don't give God my undivided attention, I'm not gonna take off spiritually. And if I don't surrender the money, which is such a core part of who we are, I, I'm, I'm not gonna take off spiritually, right? And these are just practical, measurable ways to do that. Last thing I would say is this. If I want to love Jesus and want to love people, I'm going to do that by, by utilizing my time. By utilizing my time. The Apostle James says something really fascinating. He says this. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So the Apostle James is looking at us and he's saying, guys, listen, you thinking what you think and you feeling what you feel has no value unless it spurs you on to action and you're actually investing your time in those things. If I want to give God my undivided attention, I'm going to have to give him time. If I want to give God uh, power and, and authority over my money, it's probably going to involve my time. And then how I intentionally schedule myself is going to allow me to express love to Christ and to express love to people. This is what I have noticed a lot. And I'm just being honest with you, okay? I'm not trying to chew you out. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I will oftentimes hear people express something that they say they have a passion about. I'm so passionate about the next generation. We have, they, we have to make Jesus make sense to the next generation. That's, that's awesome. Uh, I, I'm so passionate about the gospel. We have to help the gospel. I'm so passionate about missions. You know, we have to help missionaries. So passionate about church planning. I'm so passionate about certain causes that are, that are meant to serve and love people. Um, 
I'm passionate about stopping sex trafficking. What's going on with human trafficking and sex trafficking is so egregious. I'm passionate about this. It just makes my blood boil, makes me cry. I'm passionate about the inner city. I'm passionate about starving children. I'm passionate about people with And I'll hear people express passions all the time. We're, we're very uh, free with that, right? It shows up on our, on our Instagram. It shows up in our conversation. I'm passionate about social justice. And we will express that very freely. Ready? I love you. Everybody trust that right now? Here we go. I love you. Ready? If you say how passionate you are about things again and again and again, and you post about how passionate you are about things again and again, and that passion is not represented in your schedule, you're not passionate about it, you're just emotional about it. I love you, and it's useless. It's useless. Well, I just gotta make awareness. No, you have to be involved. And a passion without action is just an emotion. And it doesn't change anything. So my time, the most valuable thing that I own is my time. If my time is not purposely invested in loving Jesus and loving people, that I'm feeling things, I'm not actually making a difference in somebody's life. And our time has to be invested to make our faith active so that it's useful and alive. That's what James is saying, okay? Now, it's kind of like money. Like, where do I start? Because all of our life belongs to Christ, right? All of our life belongs to Christ. Everything I do, the Bible says I should do for the honor and glory of Christ. So when I go to work, when I go to school, when I'm in the dorm, when I'm at home, like all of it belongs to Christ. And you're saying invest my time, like what does that mean and how does that play out? Right, so let me, I'm just trying to be hyper practical with you so you can go out and buy sushi tonight and talk about this and schedule it, okay? So think about your time the way you think about your tithe for a second. So there's 168 hours in a week, 24 times seven, 168 hours in a week. If you sleep eight hours a night, seven nights a week, and you work 10 hours a day, seven days a week, you will have 42 hours left over at the end of your week that is free time. That's literally a full-time job to do whatever you want. If you work 10 hours a day, five days a week, then you'll have 62 hours a week that's unaccounted for in sleeping or working, 62 hours a week. So 42 to 62 hours a week, depending on how much you work, okay? Just think about it this way. If I took 10% of that time, of my free time, 10%, I would have four to six hours a week that I'm gonna purposely schedule to love Jesus and to love, express love to Jesus and express love to people, okay? If you had four to six hours a week that you scheduled to express love to Jesus and express love to people, it would change your life. If you said, I am passionate about ending human sex trafficking, and you gave four to six hours a week to Rahab, which is an organization we partner with 
that is built to combat human sex trafficking for women. If you gave 46 hours a week, it would change your life and you would make a difference in women's lives. If you said, I'm passionate about helping people recover from, from addictions, and you give 46 hours a week to work and celebrate recovery or, or uh, help, help over at Restore or help in what, if you give 46 hours a week to do that, it would change your life and it would change the lives of other people. If you're, I'm passionate about next generation, you have four to six hours a week and you teach a Sunday school class or be on youth staff or disciple a young adult and it would change your life, it would change them. I'm, I'm passionate about the gospel. You give four to six hours a week. That, that is the, you could, you, could, you could volunteer both services on the weekend at Grace Church. Four to six hours a week. So it's, when, when you say, I don't have time, I love you again, I just want to make sure everybody knows I love you, right? When you say you don't have time, you're lying to yourself, not to me. It's not true. That's why feelings are useless when it comes to these kind of things. It's just, I just feel something. And James is like, well, do something. And if you start investing four to six hours a week, I don't care where it is, just make sure it has eternal value. You start investing four to six hours a week, this is what I promise you. I'll bet you sushi. I will bet you that you start doing that. That four to six hours a week will be the best four to six hours of your week. And that will be a beginning point because that's something you'll start to give your life to because it will become fulfilling, it will become meaningful, and you'll watch how you make sure you invest your life in other people. You start to see their lives change. You'll be doing that more and more and more and more. And when you look and say, I don't like my life. Like, okay, why not? I, I'm lonely. I'm, I'm depressed. I, I, I feel isolated. I, I, I'm insecure. I, I just don't, I feel like anybody wants me. I feel like anybody loves me. And I'm like, you gotta leave the house. You gotta give your life away. You have to invest it. And you gotta put it on the calendar. Because I, I never just like, what? How in the world did I wind up with four evenings free this week? That never happens, right? I have to schedule it. Same thing with money. How did I just wind up? What are we, how are we gonna blow this 10% on something? That never happens. You have to discipline. I don't know what happened today. I just wound up giving my undivided attention to Jesus. That's never going to happen. And, and I'm just telling, I'm just trying to help and be practical here. I'm like, I just found like if, if starting, like if those three things aren't like a part of it, then it's not happening. And, and people who seek first like they, they do that stuff and it's, it's, there's, a, there's a measurement to it. And then it grows and it becomes natural and you're not keeping track of it all the time. I'm just like, if you're trying to start or restart, I would look at those three areas and I would be like, if none of those things are lined up or measurable, like you can't point to it and you're not happy where, where your life is going and your faith isn't growing and you're... you're excitement about Jesus isn't increasing, I'm like, well, you should probably, you should probably just go back there. 
and lock those things in and it will be life changing, right? And that's a life that Jesus wants to give you and he wants to pour into you. I love what he says. We've talked about this some. He says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief, that's the evil one, the devil, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan gets up every morning and his purpose in life is to steal your joy, steal your peace, steal your hope, steal your faith. His purpose in life is to, is to kill, kill your relationship with God, kill your relationship with other people, and destroy, destroy the direction of your heart, destroy your family, destroy the church, destroy your friends. His purpose is to do those things. And when you wind up in a place in life where you're like, I hate this. His purpose is being accomplished in my life. And I hate it. Jesus is like, well, let's change it because I hate it too. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. These are Jesus' words. My purpose is to give them salvation and a satisfying life. He doesn't say my purpose is that they never go through pain and everybody gets a brand new car and everybody's hair grows back. and everybody. He's not to, This is not the TV nonsense. He's talking about that my purpose is to give them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. My purpose is to give them wisdom from above that can guide them in, my life, in their life. His purpose is so that they go down a path that in the end will lead in death. My purpose is to rescue them from that and give them on a path that leads to life. That's what I want to do for you, and that's what you want. And I love you, I'm a good shepherd, and I sacrifice my life to do this. I want that so passionately for you that I laid my life down so you could have salvation, and that salvation can lead you to a life that is full of life. It's rich and it's satisfying. I want to give it to you. How do I get it? Well, you seek me first. You seek me first. What does that mean? Love me, love people. How do you do that? It takes attention. I gave you the tool of money. And, and it, it's, you have to invest your time. It's not just going to happen by accident. Right? And when you set life up that way, and you express love to me and express love to people, you're, you're opening up a door that I can walk in and all these things, all these things will be added to you as well, right? All right. What I wanna do this weekend, why we're together, is I want, I wanna, I crafted some prayers that you can pray to kickstart this. And this is all hyper-practical, right? So this is not rocket science stuff, but it's hyper-practical and it's a beginning point. It's a beginning point that you can go down to. So three prayers. You can write these down or take a picture of the screen if you want, ready? So here's three prayers. First prayer that you, we're gonna pray this in a minute tonight. First prayer, Jesus help me to create a habit. Help me to have undistracted attention to you. And to have undistracted time with God, you're going to need a habit every day. And I recommend spending time in God's word and prayer every day. 
Every day I'm going to spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever you're capable of doing. And God, give me, here's the time. Here's the habit. Help me to long for it and to miss it if I miss it. But God, help me to create a habit. Why are we praying about this? Because we haven't created the habit. Right? So we've tried and we're not missing it. So we're going to ask God to help us do that. Help me create a habit. Second prayer. Jesus, help me to live in gratitude. Help me live in gratitude. Why is that that prayer? Right? The reason, I love you. Remember? I think we established this. Here we go. The reason that we get tense about the 10% is because we're not grateful for the 90. Just being honest with you. So gratitude is what shifts that. Gratitude is what causes me to fear the Lord, where I'm, like, I'm grateful everything is yours, and I'm grateful you let me keep 90% of it. See? And remember, that's a starting point. Everything is the Lord's. Everything is borrowed. So God, help me to live in gratitude. Last prayer. Jesus, show me where to spend my time, okay? Show me where to spend my time. Ready? When I pray the prayer to spend my time, rarely am I talking about what, I'm usually talking about who. Show me where to spend my time. I'm probably not talking about what. Maybe For some of us, it might be what. For most of us, it's who. That thing that you're emotional about, like, don't discount that. God wired you to be emotional about that. But schedule it. That that passion that is uniquely you and you, you have a passion to love people and to share the hope of Jesus with them in that particular category, don't ignore that. that that's, it's, that's, not, that's not something that should just be put away. It just has to be acted on or it's just a feeling. So God, where do you want me to spend my time? And it's usually not the what, it's usually the who. Okay? So God, help me create a habit. God, help me live in gratitude. God, help me to know where to spend my time, okay? All right. While we're together and while we're undistracted, let's spend a little bit of time praying, okay? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And Jesus, we just want to be in this moment with you. We want to push aside the the busyness. We want to set down the phone. We want to stop thinking about what's next here for a minute, and we just want to be with you. And maybe just now, just ask God, God, help me to create a habit. Show me a time. Show me a place that I can kind of make a sacred time in a sacred place. And then maybe make a commitment to God to meet him at that sacred time and in that sacred place. Maybe ask him to remind you. Maybe ask him to wake you up in the morning. Maybe. But we're going to, it's important, so we want to start it. Jesus, help me create a habit. Jesus, help me to live in gratitude. 
gratitude to release everything I have to you and to receive back from you with joy to release jealousy coveting things judgment and just be grateful for your overwhelming material blessings in my life Jesus, all of our life is yours. Every minute of every day is yours. And Lord, as a starting point, if we were to invest on purpose, maybe we've never done that before, but invest on purpose, who would you want us to do that with? What's the passion that you've laid on our heart? Lord Jesus, you're an amazing shepherd. You love us so well. And not only do you call us and challenge us, but you actually bring it all the way down to like, how do we do it? You don't just leave us out there. So God, these things are simple. They're measurable. They're beginning points. God, they're they're critical, especially when we're trying to get our head around it or, or get back, back to making you first. So I just pray in these still moments, God, that you would stir in the hearts of those who want to love you, want to know you and follow you. And, uh, empower them, change their thinking, make them new creations, God, and let them to live in that reality. So walk with us even in these moments, Jesus.